I'll read Ruth chapter 1 to you. This is the word of God. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there for about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the women, woman was left with her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No! We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the, at the beginning of the barley harvest. So speak of the word of God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. It is precious. It is a treasure. We thank you that it speaks relevantly today as it did back then. We pray, Lord, that you would be with this, your 
sinful pastor. Help him to speak now with clarity. I pray for your people gathered that they would hear your voice speaking. Come upon us and give us illumination, we ask in your precious name. Amen. Well, thank you for your warm welcome. Glenn was very kind. And uh, see my family snuggled there in the back. It's not every day that you have a, an Englishman visiting. Um, so I hope you'll bear with us. Now, in the uh, summer of 2003, the four times winner of the Tour de France, Lance Armstrong, was under real pressure. He was going into the 15th stage of the Tour, and he was only 15 seconds ahead of his nearest rival. And those who knew better, the experts had started to write him off. He wasn't far enough ahead, and he was coming to, to stages which he would personally struggle with. And on that day ahead of him, he had, a, he had a really difficult ride up through the Pyrenees. I don't know if you know that part of the world, but it's, it's terribly steep. To be honest with you, everything was going rather well until he, he collided with one of the spectators. And somehow, uh, her bag had connected with the, the, the lever, his gear lever, caught in the, and, and it, uh, dragged him right off course, so much so that he spun into the crowd. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here who follows the tour, but if you did, then you'll remember that crash. Because as he went spinning off into the crowd, the, the pack literally shot by him. And you can imagine the commentators at that moment. This is it. It's all over. It's finished for him. He's won the tour, you know, prophets of doom. But remarkably, Lance Armstrong, not only did he get back on his bike, not only did he, he catch up the pack, but he went ahead of the pack, and he actually went on to win that race and subsequently to win the tour. Now, Lance Armstrong, on that occasion, effectively covered, recovered from what was a, a terrible setback that could so easily have meant disaster for him and his aspirations. And then, of course, we know about Lance Armstrong because in many ways he's a metaphor, isn't he, for comeback? Because subsequently he went on to develop cancer and um, had a tough fight with cancer. You know, there is a presumption within the Bible that for the believer and the unbeliever, this fallen world will serve up disappointment, heartache, and upset. Ever since man's rebellion in the garden, back, back, long ago, against the will of God, there has been condemnation upon humanity. And in the years that followed Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, the offspring of all humanity have been paying the consequences for that one fatal mistake. And these, um, these setbacks that come into our lives, they appear in all sorts of different ways. So we experience them in divorce, in illness, career disappointment, failing that exam I needed to get into college. They come in other forms, such as depression or grief over the loss of a loved one. But also, there is a particular set of setbacks for those of us who are believers. 
Because you see, as believers, we also suffer not only the physical setbacks, but also spiritual setbacks. Our first parents, again, having failed to say no to the wiles of the devil, has meant that every successive generation of believer has become susceptible to his wicked ways. In the spiritual battles, we all know there are times, aren't there, when, to be honest, he just gets the better of us. He causes us to fall into temptation. And before long, we find ourselves disillusioned with our pathetic efforts to live for Christ. And often what follows from that is that we find ourselves, if we're honest, growing spiritually apathetic and cold. It's a familiar pattern, which I'm sure that everybody here is sympathetic to. And I want to ask you at the beginning of our time together this morning, are you struggling from a setback in life? And whatever form that might take, maybe of a physical nature, maybe the loss of a loved one, it may be something deeply spiritual. Has that wily devil been getting the better of you in recent days? Has your own sin just been troubling you and getting you down? Now perhaps, to be honest, that doesn't describe you this morning. Maybe everything's chipper. Maybe life is going rather well. At last, everything seems rather good. But the truth is that if you're not suffering from a setback, then the truth is, is that life is only a matter of time before some disappointment or some heart, heartache or some pain comes our way. So I want to ask the question, how bad was Naomi's setback? Well, we're told that Elimelech, her husband, who made the unfortunate decision in the first place to leave the promised land and head down to Moab, which is essentially is a pagan land, he's dead. We're also told in this, um, in, the, in this chapter that her two sons are dead. And finally, she is, she's away, isn't she? She's away from her home. She's in uh, a pagan land. She's effectively in exile without the comfort of all hope. And at the moment, it seems like her future is dead. It's interesting um, that the book of Ruth actually divides up into six narrative scenes. And um, the opening scene, which we are looking at this morning, uh, Naomi is effectively emptied of all hope uh, for her family's future through death. In the final scene, which we're not going to have time to go into any detail in, uh, we see that Naomi's hope for the family's future is restored through birth. You see, Naomi's comeback will finally be, be fulfilled in the smile of a little baby, born in her hometown of Bethlehem. Does that ring any bells? You see, in chapter 4, verse 16, we read, Naomi laid the child in her lap and cared for him. And in a, a very real and parallel way for all of us, when we are seeking to recover from the, the setbacks in our lives, we naturally look, don't we, to the Christ child who was also born in Bethlehem. Because you see, ultimately, he is our redemptive hope. Now, I want to just say in passing that 
In talking of uh, Naomi making a comeback, making a comeback in many ways from those who are very close to her who have died, it would be very wrong of us to presume that she had in any way forgotten her loved ones. No, no, you never forget, do you? Those who are precious, those who pass away. But in Christ, in the Lord Jesus, he can give us the strength to carry on despite the pain of loss. And ultimately, it is through the setbacks that come to us in all different forms through life that he draw, we, 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 we go to him to draw on his strength. To draw on the strength of the Christ child who became a man. And ultimately, who faced death and had victory over death. Who faced sin and had victory over sin. And yet at the same time, in our grief and our loss for loved ones, we not only remember that Christ is the one who had victory over death, but he's also the one who wept at the news of the death of Lazarus. In Christ we find one who is empathetic to all our sufferings and all our pain. So we know, I've given you very quickly the big picture of of the book of Ruth. We know that things eventually work out for Naomi. But what did she need to do to begin her comeback? That's the question, isn't it? That's the question that I want to, to bring before you, for you to ponder and to consider and to encourage you in. In verses 6 to 22, which we're going to burrow down a little bit deeper into now, and which is effectively the second scene in our, narrat- in our six narratives at scenes, I want us to briefly notice three ingredients, three steps that are necessary to turn around any setback and to begin making a comeback. So what's the first step? Well, in the first place, it is necessary to respond positively to right news, to good news. Now, when my two boys, those of you who've had children, those of you who have little children, those of you who have babies, you'll be anticipating this, but when my two boys took their first steps, oh my goodness, was that an exciting moment for us. Now, I don't know how well you know England, but England is full of very stately homes and equally beautiful gardens. And it's uh, my oldest son, Thomas, um, he just happened to delight us by taking his first steps at a place called Tatton Park in Cheshire. And it's archetypal English. It's a beautiful garden. It was a delightful summer's afternoon. And Thomas is a restless soul at the best of times. But he was desperate to start walking. And he had been, as, you, as we've, seen our, we've seen children doing this, he, he was walking along the edge of the sofa or the edge of the bed. He'd be leaping out, taking his first step and slap, bang, right onto his nose. And this process had been going on for, for tantamount for weeks. And we were, as parents, we were getting frustrated for him. His mum was holding him, dangling his little hands like this, and he was a big smile on his face, and I am just maybe three steps away from him. And I'm saying, come on, Thomas. Come on, Thomas. Come on, you can do this. You can do this. He took his first step. I'm going, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Down he went. Come on, something on come on. Picked him up again, took his hands. Come on, Thomas, come on. 
two. And I'm counting three. I won't keep going off off the edge of the stage. But I, I, as he was walking towards me, I was moving backwards. And he's, got, he's walking quicker and quicker. He's beginning to tumble. Seven, eight, nine steps. What a remarkable and exciting moment that was for us as a family and for him as well. You know, at last he had conquered what had felt like weeks of frustration by taking those first hesitant steps. You know, if you are striving or willing to make a comeback this morning, it can be like learning to walk again. In verses 6 and 7, we observe Naomi taking those hesitant but absolutely necessary first steps of a comeback. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, given Naomi's misfortune, she would be forgiven, wouldn't she, for, for having feelings like she didn't want to go on. I don't want to go back to the promised land. I don't want to go back to Bethlehem. Oh, why? Why should I bother at such a hard time of it? So much grief in my family. Or is it really worth trying to make a comeback? Instead, what we see happen in these verses is Naomi picking herself up and taking the first step by responding to right news. You know, for the believer, for those of us that love the Lord Jesus, there should be nothing that raises our passions and stirs us into action like the news that God is at work. In verse 6, we read that the Lord had at last come to his people's aid. In verse 22, we read of a harvest in the land, which, if you know your biblical theology, is an indication that the Lord is blessing his people. The Lord, once again, the famine is over. The Lord God has returned and he is blessing his people with material things. So despite Naomi's own personal suffering, this news that the Lord is at work again in her hometown was enough to call her to action. This prompted her to look north and to head home. You see, Naomi has recognized, despite her circumstances, where her real home is. The news of God's blessing has prompted her to remember how much better off she was in Bethlehem before she came down to Moab. And this story, of course, reminds us of the prodigal son, who in the same way, in that, in that parable, in that story, he realized that it, it was far better to be a servant in his father's house to, than to continue in a, on a diet of pig food. You see, in the smile of a baby, Naomi's hope will be finally restored. But in order for that to occur, she has to take the first step in the direction of home. So I ask you all this morning, why should you look up this morning and take the first step in the direction of Jesus? If you've had enough and life has just served up too much suffering, or if your soul is in spiritual exile and you're tired of, of, of playing the game, God says, and he invites you to embrace the baby Jesus and all that he went on to achieve. You see, in your Savior's smile, you will find forgiveness and you will find restoration. This 
Christ child was nurtured by her mother through teenage rebellion, through adult rejection. He knew loneliness like you can never imagine. And then, at the moment when he was feeling most lonely, he looked death in the eye and he accepted his destiny. You see, you see that in his sufferings, Jesus acquired the empathy to comfort us in every situation that as human beings we can experience. And this morning, he stands and he seeks to beckon you home. So that's the first step. Second step, so we need to respond to right news. Secondly, we need to make a recommitment through the right company we keep. As soon as Naomi realized that God was at work, we see in verse 6, what does she do? She packs her things and she heads home. It was only on the journey, however, that she began to reflect that she might not be able to make full provision for her two daughters-in-law. So what does she do? She literally stops on the road somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem. Somewhere between Moab and Israel. Well, we've obviously begun on this journey. And she turns to the, the, to the two girls and she effectively says, what are you doing coming with me? This is crazy. You know, your only hope for the future is if you find husbands. And I can't help you with that. No, no. no look, look, girls. The most sensible thing is for you to turn around and head off back. I'll go this way and you go that way, okay? And in verse 9 we read, what happens? In response to those words, there's a lot of tears. And you can imagine the scene. You know, these three women who are standing in the middle of nowhere, crying and hugging each other and realizing that what their mother-in-law is saying makes a whole lot of sense. Sadly, there is no option. These girls have got to go home. And that's what you'd expect them both to do, isn't it? They'd see sense and they'd head home. But you see, Naomi's missed something. She's missed something very important. You see, she's failed to realize that under her very nose, God, who she thinks has deserted her, has been at work. In the life, you see, of one of those young women, God has already done a work of grace. Ruth's bond to to her mother-in-law is much greater now than a familial tie. You see, she is now committed to Naomi's God. So despite... Naomi's pleading and persuading Ruth the Moabitess is having none of it. Oh, no, no, no. You see, she's absolutely insistent that she is returning with Naomi back to Bethlehem. Brothers and sister, isn't it so important that we keep the right company? When we suffer setbacks, particularly when they're of a spiritual nature. It's strange. I've certainly had this experience how often we find our unbelieving friends more sympathetic to our particular needs. Somehow, they kind of get us. They kind of understand where we're at. Let me say to you all that this is not true. This is a lie. Of the evil one. Do not be deceived. 
If you are spiritually cold, if you are suffering setbacks, then you need more than ever the company of your brothers and your sisters. It may be that one of you might want to call out to me and say, well, hey, Johnny, where are my Christian brothers? Where are my Christian sisters? Yes, Johnny, I need them. But where are they? You know, it's so important that we're there for our brothers and sisters, not only in the good times, but also in the hard times. As a body, we have an obligation to care and to look out for one another. So in verse 14, we see that Orpah gives in to Naomi's persuading. And what does she do? She returns back to Moab. But in contrast, as Orpah disappeared over the horizon, Ruth clung to Naomi. Now, if we had time to, time to delve into the Hebrew, it's interesting that the, the word there that is used for clung in the Hebrew language is the very same word that's used in Genesis 2.24 to describe how a man and a wife are to be committed to each other. In verse 16 and 17, Ruth puts into words her commitment to Naomi and her God. Let's read those verses together. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. You know, these are very strong words. And there are covenant overtones in these words. They betray deep understanding in Ruth. She is determined to follow Naomi. And if we go on and read, you'll see that only death in her mind will separate them. So what else do we need to make a comeback? We need to be determined to respond to right news. Secondly, we need to cling to our Christian friends. And we need to be determined to recommit our lives to God. But finally, and maybe this is the hardest of the three, we need to be able and willing to reflect an honest heart. Now again, we all know from our life experiences that to bring closure on a broken relationship or draw a line under a painful experience requires you to be honest about how you feel before you're able to move on. Now there are two separate occasions. The, um, the scholar Boyd A. Luther uh, suffered um, from people effectively saying or doing unfair things to him. And he described um, the anxiety and the anger that arose from, from the, those unfair things as roots of bitterness. And in both those cases, he had been duly wronged. And I suppose at one level, he had every reason to feel bitter. But, uh, but sadly, uh, certainly in one case, the, the root of bitterness, he says, lasted for, for, for two years. And it was only eventually when he confronted how he was feeling towards that individual who had hurt him. Honestly, acknowledged his personal feelings towards them. I'm sure privately. I'm not sure that he necessarily confronted that individual. But he was able at least to share his feelings with his wife. It was only when he was honest with how he felt about the situation that he was able to move on. 
And in this passage, what we see is Naomi being ruthlessly honest uh, about her feelings. And interestingly, they are feelings, ill feelings that are directed towards God. Look with me at the end of verse 13 we read, The Lord's hand has gone out against me. Verse 20, The Almighty has made my life bitter. And in verse 21, The Lord has brought me back empty. You know, in this story that we have read so far, it would be very easy to sympathize with Naomi and consider that her life effectively is jinxed. But you know, in Naomi's mind, there is only one person to blame for her situation and her circumstances. You see, this is not, in, not some kind of impersonal streak of fate or bad luck. She's absolutely convinced that the Lord God had it in for her. She says, doesn't she, that God's own hand had intentionally attacked her. Now, as a consequence of this belief, whether true or not, she had become increasingly embittered towards God. And I think that's the point. Whether it's true or not is not the issue here. This is just the reality of how she felt. You see, Naomi through her misery, had become disillusioned, disappointed with the God of her fathers. Is that something? You might not be willing to jump up and admit it, but is that something that you feel deep down, that you relate to? Her feelings are so strong that when she arrives back in Bethlehem, she insists that all her old friends are run out to, to greet her, call her by a new nickname, Bitter One, Mara. Now, I don't think anybody here would condone the way that Naomi is behaving. And those of us who are steeped in our theology, um, who know better, would be very easy, wouldn't it, to walk up to her and, and to say to her that, you know, it wasn't actually God who brought on this tragedy. Um, to be honest with you, it's actually a rather sad set of circumstances that probably began when your husband failed to even consult God in his decision to leave the promised land and head down to Moab. Nevertheless, despite all of that, there's, sometimes there's just not clarity, is there, in the way that we feel. It just, it just doesn't, always, it's not always, it doesn't always make sense. You can't sometimes explain how you feel. That's not, the, that's not the point this morning. I just want to encourage you to be honest with yourself, honest with your feelings, honest with your hurt. The point that I want to drive home to you is that despite her wonky theology. The point is, is that she's at least being honest about how she felt. She was being honest about her perspective and her attitude toward God. One of my professors in RTS, a man who I've come to appreciate greatly, has said to me, he said, you know, God is big enough to handle your doubts. God is big enough to your, handle your anger. That's incredibly encouraging for me personally. Though I know I have felt and feelings that sometimes I think I shouldn't feel those. But the point is, is that uh, the same professor said, be honest with God. He can handle them. And he will overwhelm you in his love and his care for you. By being honest with his feelings, Boyd 
Luther was able to uproot his feelings of bitterness and seek to make a comeback in his relationship with the person who he had hurt. And there is good reason, I believe, to conclude that the same was true of Naomi. Now, if you had time to dig into Ruth further, you'll see the way that her attitude changes. It's a remarkable turnaround. So much so that by the time we get to chapter 2, verse, um, I think it's verse 24, she is, she is literally, um, no, it's, sorry, it's, it's chapter 2, verse 20. There, what she, she's, she's speaking about God in a remarkably positive way. She's actually basically praying that, or asking that, that, he, that God would go and bless Boaz. She, she's recognizing now that, that, who, that who God is. And she's, she's asking that he would bless Boaz. Her attitude towards God changes rapidly and even more so as we, as we pre- press on in the, in, the chat, in the book. But I want us to notice that by admitting her bitterness towards God, effectively that was the beginning of the end, at least emotionally, for Naomi. This completes the start of her comeback. Naomi here has made three solid steps, comeback steps. She's responded to right news. She's made made a recommitment through choosing right company, and now she's reflecting an honest heart. The Lord has begun the process of helping her to recover from the bitterness from which she had been filled with following her loss. She is now able, as I said, to even wish that the Lord would bless Boaz. In reality, reality, and let's step back for a minute, in reality, God had been watching her all the time. He'd been allowing her to run around and get frustrated, but he'd, he'd had his hand upon her. A good friend of ours was um, sharing not that long ago. Um, she'd been suffering with something called chronic fatigue syndrome. She'd had it effectively, effectively for about two years. And she spoke how she had at last got her life back. Uh, all of a sudden, the the sky seemed bluer, the, the sun seemed brighter, the, 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 the flowers smelt richer. And yet, she wrote to uh, my wife in an email. She said, I find myself constantly praising God and testifying to his goodness now. But he hasn't changed. He was the same God when I was ill. But I was unable to praise and thank him because I was self-obsessed with my own dire circumstances. Is God the villain in your life this moment? This morning, are you struggling with something? Are you struggling to recover from a disappointment? Is your heart cold towards your Savior? Are you finding it hard to get over a setback in your life? Helen Keller, who is familiar to all of us, lost both her sight and her hearing as an infant child of 19 months. She went on and learned to read and lip feel uh, before graduating with honors. And she subsequently wrote, listen to this, Although the world is full of suffering, it is full also of the overcoming of it. This is all the more so for a believer who overcomes the trials of life, not in his own strength, but in the strength of Christ Jesus. If you are struggling, then let me urge you this morning to look up and head home towards Jesus, and to sing with the hymn writer, Jesus, I come out of my sickness into your health, out of my want 
and into your wealth. Out of my sin and into yourself. Jesus, I come to thee. You know, even when the prodigal son was a long way off from his home, his father, as we know, every day he'd gone up onto the flat roof and he was looking for him. So even when his son was far off, his father saw him. And what did he do? He scurried down the stairs and he ran out to greet his son. Threw his arms around him and he gave him a wonderful welcome home. We have a compassionate God who this morning is urging you to make a comeback. Respond to him. Recommit yourself to him. Be honest with him. And even now, if you do that, you will feel the strong arms of your Savior welcoming you home. Amen.